Welcome to episode 49. Are you a vegan? Or a vegetarian? Or a carnivore? (laughs) Are you thinking about being a vegetarian or a vegan or any kind of extremist because you've watched some type of documentary? Namely, the latest Game Changers movie, which everybody's talking about. I've been asked a bunch of times what I think about this documentary, so I watched it, I took a bunch of notes, and today I'm going to share with you some of the problems with that doco and the distribution of misleading information. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Your boy, Maddie here. How you doing? Welcome back. Today on the show, the angle we're taking is debunking and diffusing a few rather large spot fires that have been created from the latest vegan documentary called The Game Changers, which you can go and check out if you haven't seen it. And I want you to be careful, though, before you do... To wear a helmet because it might cause you to make some type of extreme radical diet change or want you to headbutt the TV. It kind of has that polarizing divisive impact. So, safety first, right? Wear a helmet. <laughs> now, it's my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the healthy lifestyle that they truly want before the end of 2020. And episodes like this one directly impact that mission because misinformation drives me nuts. And so many people come to me with misinformation. It's not the people that ask the questions that drive me nuts. It's the information that has been propagated out there in the world that drives me crazy because people have tried every possible creative way to push their own agendas, be it meat, plants. Cigarettes were once marketed by elite athletes as healthy, as healthy. Can you believe a times like that existed once upon a time? Oh my God. It actually, the, ironically, this uh, doco touches on that. Anything for a dollar, right? Anything for a dollar. But in the nutrition space, generally, it seems to be, especially with this, you know, the internet and social media and Instagram gratification world, it seems to be a huge battle of scientific egos constantly. And whilst I personally enjoy those debates because it opens my mind to information and sometimes you need those types of personality to challenge the conventional dogma, it's not that functional in the real world. And during today's episode, I'm going to share with you some simple and obvious things that we're going to discuss that will really make a lot of sense by the end of the episode as to why these extremist approaches, and particularly this documentary, is misleading. Before we get into it, I'd just like to ask you lovely people that if you get any value from this or you find it interesting, please share it with a friend, share it as your Instagram story and tag me at Maddie Lansdowne, or whichever platform you prefer. I'm I'm on them all, aren't we all? We're all everywhere. Um, So, that would be awesome. Now, I just want to start with a disclaimer. I'm not judging vegans. I'm not vegan myself. I don't think veganism is the best thing for any human, personally. But I'm not judging you for your choices or anyone that heads in that direction for whatever reason and to whatever varying degree of veganism you go. I'm also not suggesting we shouldn't eat less meat because I think we massively overconsume meat, particularly processed meat and particularly factory farmed meat. So, I'm definitely not suggesting we shouldn't reduce that intake. I also do believe that the vast majority of humans need to consume 
a massive amount of plants and much, much more than the average person is getting into their body. And not only that, but a far greater variety. A lot of the gut health problems we have is because people are only eating a small handful of food. So, that's a little bit of my disclaimer. I do want to make a comment, though, on the ethical rabbit hole, right? I just want to make a couple of comments at the start here before I start on a few different facets because there's so many different facets this conversation can go down. But there's an ethical rabbit hole that um, is worth an entire episode, probably with a vegan um, person themselves, so that we can flesh it out. But there is an, an ethical conundrum, and that is simply that I understand if you're vegan for ethical reasons because, you know, the abuse of animals is horrible, you know, the the factory farming processes that these animals experience is devastating and I have no doubt that all animals have the same myriad of emotions that humans do and that, you know, they're real entities. I don't doubt that. But where does your boundary lie? Where does your own individual boundary lie? Some people trophy hunt lions some people are vegan and can't even use a leather belt because of the harm to animals. But... Does it end? Does the ethical boundary for you end at squashing a bug? Does it end at killing a mosquito that's on your skin? Does it end at clearing out far for farmland of plants to grow that vegans will then eat and having um, defense mechanisms for those farms, such as you know just shooting animals to stay off the crops? You know where does that lie? I'm just highlighting this this that the ethical conundrum. For every vegan um, that must go on in their mind, your mind, and if you you do have one, please reach out because I'd love to know where you as an individual sit, where that line is and why that that is a huge rabbit hole because every living thing has... You know, is is biology right? And if if most vegans go that, that way for ethical reasons, where does the boundary lie? Anyway, the next... Next little thing I want to talk about is funding. Just really quickly, this is another thing I'm just touching on is funding. So, it's a really big thing in the nutrition space to look at funding because, uh, and same with Big Pharma and, you know, Western Medicine and all that type of thing. And I kind of, um, you know, it's, it's a tough conversation because all research needs to be funded by someone, all activities in the world need to be funded by someone. And often, the reality is the people that fund it have an interest. That's why they've got the money. Nobody just has spare money to throw at things they don't care about or believe in. So, it's a really tough, it's another conundrum. (laughs) It's a really tough situation to be in because, you know, a lot of the time we can say, oh, look, the vegan, you know, the vegan documentary was funded by people that have plant-based farms. It's kind of like, well, the guys growing beef aren't really going to fund a vegan documentary. So, it's a, it's a catch. Like, it's a kind of a catch-22. It's like the money has to come from somewhere and it's often people that have an interest, right? So, it's, it's a tough situation to be in there. And that's why third-party independent testing is important in many industries. But it's, it's very difficult to be able to do that in a sustainable way to sustain a business that can make money doing that because they don't have interest in the outcome. On that note, <laughs> acknowledging where the funding is coming from is good to factor into your understanding of the biases. So, every scientific study, when you map it out, when you do the study, it has a section where you acknowledge the biases. You acknowledge problems with the situation, right? And so, I'm just simply doing that at the start of this talk. So, funding, James Cameron. Do you know James Cameron? He did 
Terminator, he did Avatar. He's a filmmaker, very successful, famous film filmmaker that's done a ton of, you know, blockbusters, right? He was one of the filmmakers involved in the Game Changers. And coincidentally, he owns a pea protein company called Verdient Foods. Again, I'm just acknowledging the biases. I'm not saying whether they are impactful or not. I'm just acknowledging them. All right, now I want to get into it. All right, I want to get into the more nutrition side of things and the more functional. That's probably the word we need to talk about today is functional. So, I want to start with the fact that most of this, like most of the people that watch this is the general public, right? It's on Netflix. And guess what? Most of us aren't elite athletes. Like, you know, upward of 90% of humans that watched that are not elite athletes. And most of the film was on elite athletes. Pretty much everything that they showed was on elite athletes. They get paid to heal. They get paid to eat. They have chefs. They have dietitians. They have doctors. They have a plethora of supplements at their workplace, where they go, at their home. These resources are available to elite athletes 24-7. They're paid 10 times the amount of the average pleb like me (laughs) working in the hospital to have these resources available to them, right? And most of the people that are making dietary changes um, as a result of watching this are not elite athletes. You don't have all of these resources. And the reality is, in order to live a vegan lifestyle in the correct way, you need an economic support system to be able to do it successfully and healthily, right? Now, they also made a reference to gladiators. And they were like, oh, when we looked back in history, even the gladiators were on a plant-based diet. Now, I don't know much about that history. I'm going to be honest with you. But I do know that gladiators were, for the most part, slaves. They were slaves in a very, very different time and I don't think that that's an extremely useful reference. Maybe the slaves were only given plants because they weren't allowed to have the good meat that the king would eat, you know? Like, I don't know, but I'm just highlighting that that's kind of a weak argument, right? Um, the other thing to note is that whilst talking about all of these people, I actually didn't count it, but I should have, and I, I should go back and count it, and that is the amount of times the word predominantly was used. Predominantly. This person is predominantly plant-based. This elite athlete is predominantly plant-based. The gladiators were predominantly plant-based. Predominantly, 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 right? That is not vegan. (laughs) Vegan is not predominantly. It is 100% plant-based. And a lot of the nutritional elements that we get from animal products and, you know, animal meats and, and organs are stored in the body relatively well. So, you can be predominantly plant-based because you can have meat once a week or you can have a good feed of meat once a month and you're going to be benefiting from that, right? That's predominantly and your body's going to store some of those vitamins and minerals and uh, amino acids and etc, etc. So, the word predominantly does not highlight the idea that these people are actually vegan, right? They are not. If you are predominantly vegan, you are not a vegan. You're just an omnivore like humans were born to be, especially when you have these extreme cases of metabolic requirement being, again, elite athletes. Being predominantly is probably much more in your favor because guess what? You need to get all of your nutritional resources from nutritionally rich foods, and that includes diversity across all the whole spectrum. Now, 
The other thing I want to acknowledge is that there was no science, really, in this. They did a bunch of three athlete experiences with burritos, which were an overnight test. (laughs) So, again, we're dealing with a demographic of um, people that are elite athletes, which is not all of us that watched it, right? And also, they they compared with a meat burrito and then the next day used a vegan burrito, like, for three people in, uh, what, 24 to 48 hours? Like... That is just useless information. It's not remotely applicable because their pasts are different, their genetics are different. You know, they're also in a demographic, as I just acknowledged, that is not us, not relevant to us at all. But they they're masquerading or utilize they're utilizing the idea that we all want to be super fit and healthy as uh, as some type of tool to motivate us to eat this way. Also, whilst these athletes are that are actually completely vegan do exist, and I'm not negating that fact at all, we need to remember that, again, they have the entire spectrum of nutritional intake because they have those professionals around them. So, you might want to be the strong man or the, you know, the Olympic weightlifter and live like those guys do, but until you are actually an Olympic weightlifter or a strong man that dedicates your entire life to that, then your life is not going to be particularly dedicated to your nutrition. Right, you're not going to be focused on it like they are, and that's why many of those people are likely to be able to get the very vast majority of the nutrition that they require. So, these little scientific studies and you know, using these little elite athlete examples are just not relevant and have no scientific basis at all. And I think that, that was a comment by the doctor in one of those. Um, in one of those little studies that they, those mock-up studies that they did in in the Game Changers. I think he said, you know, we can't use this as scientific evidence because it couldn't be further from scientific evidence. Just a bunch of mates eating a burrito, (laughs) right? Now, the other thing, now, the obvious thing to talk about um, is nutritional deficiency, right? Now, that's the thing that always comes up with these extreme diets. doesn't matter what it is. We could be talking about carnivore diet. Like, you know, it's, the nutritional deficiency is the problem when it comes to any of these extreme changes. And yes, vegan is extreme because you are an omnivore. Humans are omnivores. So, when you do this, it is extreme, just like going carnivore is extreme because we are omnivores. We're meant to eat plants. So, it's the same in every direction. Now, I'm not going to harp on too much about the nutritional deficiencies because it's more, the issue is more in the the how, the how, not why. We know why, all right? We know why the uh, vegans and extreme dieters have a nutritional deficiency. We know why, because they're not getting all the nutrition into their body, right? I'm going to cover a few here. I'm going to cover a few nutritional deficiencies. I'm going to reference some plants that you can get them from. Um, and then I'm going to talk about how it is that we don't get enough and how we can get all that we need, all right? So, common nutritional deficiencies, right, for vegans. The biggest one, the biggest one we know is B12, vitamin B12. Now, the documentary references that we used to be able to get this from bacteria, you know... I, it's not to say that bacteria doesn't utilize B12 as a, as a relevant compound in its own function and that we may take a minuscule amount from it if we were to be living back in the wild, but I very much doubt that we would be able to get enough of that from complete plant sources because of the bacteria that's on the plants. Like a lot of the plants, we struggle to get enough of enough vitamins and minerals out of, let alone the bacteria on the plants. Anyway, 
point is that that's the number one deficiency. It's the it's recognized by Western medicine by every form of uh, medical modality recognizes B12 deficiency, and virtually every vegan should be on a B12 supplement. It's just everybody knows that uh, simply because B12 comes from animal protein sources or animal products. Next one, omegas. So omega threes, omega sixes. You can get them from nuts and seeds, um, but again. How, you know, are you eating a kilo of chia seeds? You're not. You're not, right? That's why it's a deficiency because, yes, you can get these things from plant sources, but people aren't eating the volume, the volume. And not to mention that I actually did an episode with uh, nutritionist and personal trainer and ex-vegan Sheridan Hauser. It's episode 10. It was actually my first interview episode. And she was vegan for like four or five years and even as a nutritionist, knew what she was doing, but had to move to pescatarian, right? Because because she just could not get enough nutrients in and it was causing her to have a real dietary nutritional issue in, re- in relation to her health. And the big one that we talked about was her, her ability to get the omegas into her body because nuts and seeds go down a different me- metabolic cascade, right? It, it takes much longer to extract these things and it's a much more complex process and requires more energy from the body to be able to extract omegas out of nuts and seeds. So, that's why it's another common deficiency. Vitamin A is a is a, Sheridan mentioned this one on the podcast too. Vitamin A it's a it's a pretty common one because there's actually fifty percent of the population. So vitamin A we're talking about beta carotene here. So it comes out of carrots, sweet potatoes, you know, some collard greens, some uh, dark leafy greens as well. Um, but predominantly, you know, we're talking the brighter coloured foods. We, we get a bit of beta carotene out of. Now there's fifty percent of people that. Um, that don't metabolize this as well as the other 50%. So there's a lot, there's quite a large group of people that don't extract this as effectively as they should from plants. Right. And again, this is why it's about diversity because every plant is different and every extraction method via our metabolism therefore has a slightly different approach and therefore renders a different result. So vitamin A is quite is quite an unsuspecting common issue with uh, deficiencies in a vegan diet. Now the other one, the other one, there's tons actually, but the big one that people debate constantly is iron, right? <clears throat> So, iron. So, there's a difference between heme iron and non-heme iron. So, heme meaning that it comes from an animal source or a blood-based source and non-heme meaning that obviously there's no blood. So, it comes from plants and those are like spinach, chard, beans, nuts, lentils. And again, same conversation. We're just not eating enough. Well, no, there's two two of the same conversation. Getting enough volume in to match what you would get in a steak, say. And again, the nutritional or sorry, the metabolic steps in order to extract that out and how much you then absorb, right? So, yes, spinach might be per weight, you know, per weight ratio, the the highest food in iron, but your body has a massively decreased ability to firstly extract it and secondly, then absorb it appropriately. And so, the iron that is just in spinach, because it is, doesn't mean that that's what equates to what ends up in your blood, right? The same with the nuts and lentils and seeds and uh, nuts and lentils and beans rather. And again, how often are you eating those? Are you pouring them in? Are you eating a ton of those each day? Very unlikely because iron deficiency is very common in this group of people. Next one, calcium. Where do you get calcium on a plant-based diet? Tofu, soy milk, soybeans, collard greens. Now, there's a whole other conversation around whether you should be eating soy and most of those are soy products, right? Because they have phytoestrogens, right? Which 
uh, you know, in my personal opinion, unfavorable. But on a plant, and you can get the calcium from a bunch of different plants as well. But again, best sourced from plants, best sourced from animal sources. Now, I'm, you all know that I'm very much not an advocate for dairy. Uh, if you can find organic dairy, it's p- pretty good, to be honest, um, compared to what you might get in conventional dairy. But there's plenty of plant sources, great plant sources to get calcium. But also, of course, animal proteins, sardines, fish, etc., etc. So, picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Um, folate, another one, big one for women, especially pregnant women who then end up supplementing folic acid, which is not folate. You know, it is not folate. Folic acid is not folate. Folate is what we get out of our food from nature. So, that's found in beans, peas, lentils, beetroots, quinoa, asparagus. Okay. Again, we need to, again, not enough people eating enough of these things to get the right amount in. Okay. It's the same dilemma, same dilemma. That's why these are common deficiencies. The other big issue, the other big debate is that where do you get your protein from? Now, it isn't an issue of the location that you get your protein from. It's more an issue of getting the complete protein profile. So, there are essential amino acids and non-essential. So, non-essential means that the body can formulate them. The body has the components to be able to build them and then send them out into the blood and to the body and where they need to go. But it's the complete profile. So, animal sources, you know, we we have muscle, we have bones, you know, we're similar biological mechanisms. And so, animal products and animal meats, etc., have complete protein profiles, have complete protein profiles. And again, for vegans and vegetarians, we're talking quinoa and hemp seeds. There's a few others as well that can provide the complete protein profile, but you really need to be eating a really diverse mix of foods in order to get all of the different proteins that you need and amino acids that you need into your body. There's charts absolutely everywhere online of all the different food combinations as a vegan or a vego that you can eat in order to get your complete 
profile into your body on a daily basis. But again, it's about diversity and most people are not putting diverse foods into their body. Most people have three or four meals that they cook on a regular basis and they go to the supermarket, they have maybe five to ten foods that they buy on a regular basis and that is not facilitating this. Now, other ones, uh, vitamin D is another big one as well. We know that virtually all people have vitamin D deficiency from just not being in the sun, but you need to get in the sun. You need to have a diverse diet in order to have all the supporting molecules like the cholesterol that process the pro-hormone vitamin D and create it, right? Um, Now, the other thing is that supplements are a thing. Obviously, you know, you can supplement with all of these things as a vegan, which is, you know, that's great. You know, you can do that. But... The truth is that the nutritional package that is whole real food comes that way for a reason. It comes with all the supporting nutrients and it comes in doses that the body can handle and metabolize and with all the little parts and pieces, right? So like, for instance, if you take an iron supplement, you might have an iron deficiency not because of iron deficiency, but because you have a lack of vitamin C intake or you have a lack of B12, two things that are involved in the uptake and usage of iron, right? So, that's why supplements are great, but they're nowhere near as good as the nutritional package that is food that comes with all the little bits and pieces that you need in order to absorb it and get the benefit. And all those little additional things have benefits as well. All right. Now, that was just a really quick run through of, of a couple of different deficiencies where you can get them in foods but where most people don't get anywhere near enough of them from those foods. Now, this is why I want to talk about not not focus on the science behind that, but more the, the, the physical reality as to why these deficiencies occur and why people have health issues as a result. Now, first up I've got here is metabolic genetics. So, everybody's genes are different. That's why we're designed to be able to get things from different foods. And historically, we, we came from a different, you know, all humans are different in their own regard, but groups of us came from different places in the world through our evolutionary line, right? And so, where we came from was maybe mainly plant eaters and we're mainly another group, maybe mainly meat eaters and etc. etc. So, we've all got different genetics which favor a certain type of food. Not not specifically a food, but a certain type of dietary lifestyle. But this diversity is uh, is important to to find out what works best for you because being able to go through all different foods and figure out what your genetics works with the the best, which is very hard to do unless you're extremely aware and have scientific testing available. But going through different foods and eating a plethora of different foods to know how you feel and and experiencing what your body does with those foods is extremely important because you can't read your own genetics, right? <laughs> you can't. You could pay 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 all the money and go get some complex genetic testing, pay doctors, nutritionists and scientists to interpret it for you, but even then, we factor we've got to factor in sleep, we've got to factor in stress, we've got to factor in lifestyle. You know, there's just so much in the metabolic genetics conversation that results in why people are deficient on vegan diets or why people should or shouldn't do particular diets. The next one is gut health, gut health and absorption. So, gut health, people's gut health is, they say that your your gut microbiome is more personalized than your own fingerprint, right? Because it's there's so much going on there. There's hundreds and hundreds of different bacterial and fungal colonies and, and they're the things that break down. They, they get to the food first before it gets into your body. So, whichever bacterial species and fungal species are there, might they might take the nutrients from the food that you think you're absorbing, right? 
they might be there might not be enough probiotics in what you're eating or you might not have your gut set up in a way that is for optimal vegan health and therefore these bacterial species are proliferating and taking the nutrients out of your food so remember these guys these guys eat before you do for everybody, whether you're vegan, carnivore, whatever you are. So, these guys dictate your absorption of these nutrients. So, that's another major factor. Now, the other thing is preparation methods. If you're trying to be vegan and, and extreme, as because vegan is extreme, whether you like it or not, it, it is from a dietary standpoint and from a gut health standpoint, it is extreme because it's likely going to be a new change to your body. You might adapt to it and that's fine. That's you know where metabolic genetics and, and evolutionary adaption comes in and that, that's, that's okay if you are successfully able to adapt to it. That's great actually, but not many people are. And so, knowing how to prepare these foods in ways that don't damage the nutrition profile, that, that, that actually optimize the nutrition profile for your intake is going to be super important. But guess what? Most of us aren't chefs. Most of us aren't chefs. Most of us aren't. Not only that, not just chefs who just learnt how to cook. Most of us aren't nutrition science chefs that understand what heat does to food and molecules and what breaks down this and what up what builds up this and which foods need to be cooked a little bit in order to break down the 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 cell wall that our guts can't actually break down for particular foods. Most of us don't know this, right? Especially most people that go vegan or go carnivore, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I actually plan to experiment with the carnivore diet. But why? Because I know what my guts doing. I know which foods I need to add together and how I need to prepare that meat in order for it to be best used by my body and my gut so that I don't have negative experiences. And yes, I may have negative experiences because it's an extreme. It's more a self-experiment. And I like to do that as a nutrition sort of guru, expert and scientist, right? It's important for me to do those investigations. But because I know what's going on, just like I've tried vegan before too. I've done that before as well. I've done a bunch of things, right? I tried to go a whole month without a carb to see what would happen. Because I think it's important as an expert in this space and someone with a voice in this space to know what happens from personal experience. So, not knowing the preparation methods of how to optimize this food on an extreme diet is going to be detrimental and lead to deficiency. The next one, not enough cash, right? Not enough cash. It's expensive to live this way right? And not only that, in order to get the amount of nutrition that you need in your body from each of every single different nutrient that most people are deficient in and even just the normal human needs, you are very unlikely to be able to eat the volume, the volume of food that you need to get in. So, not only do you need the cash to buy an excessive volume, well, it's not excessive because you need the nutritional requirements, but eating that much will make you feel like it's excessive because you'll be like, holy shit, I'm just, I'm eating all the time. You're going to feel like an elite athlete who's just pumping food in all the time because they have such drastically high metabolic requirements. But then you're in this kind of weird situation where you're just overdosing on calories to meet your nutrition requirements and that's not being nutritionally intelligent. That's not how human are meant to function. We're not meant to overdose on food with the aim of correct nutrition, but at the sacrifice of body of increasing body fat because we need to, you know, it's it's excessive calories to get the right nutrition. Do you see this catch twenty two? This weird place we end up in. You know, it's weird. Like we we're not meant to do that. And so, what do people do? They eat till they feel full and they don't eat anymore. Therefore, they're nutritionally deplete. Because in order to get all the right nutrition, you need to eat a ton more. (laughs) So, that can be a big factor in why people end up with these deficiencies. Again, remember, you and me, we're not elite athletes. We're not elite athletes like the people that they talked about on this documentary. That's why this list of things here is important. 
Next one, insufficient access to nutritional diversity. Most I've said this before, most people don't spend enough time in the supermarket or the market or the farmer's market or on, the, on a farm getting a diverse, I call it the rainbow method, but I do, a diverse color range of different foods because they just sort of go with what they know. It's like, oh, yeah, cucumbers, lettuce, tomato, carrots. Ah, oh, yep, that'll do kind of thing. And so you don't have the nutritional diversity and going to a supermarket drastically limits your ability to access nutritional diversity. So not only is it a belief system thing about the foods you grew up around and what type of what is what does constitute food and what is food and sort of steering just just naturally steering clear of foods that you're like, oh, I don't know about that. I've never had that before. And so you're limiting your nutritional diversity, which on a vegan diet or any, again, any extreme diet, you need to be extremely diverse in the colors and foods and sources in which you put into your body. Now, another little thing I just want to comment on, I'm, I'm pretty much near the end, is that when they say, the cat on the documentary, when they say cows are just the middlemen <laughs> for protein and for food. So, a lot of the animals that they make reference to in documentaries like this, they just fail to recognize that cows have four stomachs. <laughs> we cannot eat like a cow. <laughs> we can't just go and eat the grass. The cow has different gut health. It has different bacteria. It has different uh, fungal stuff in there. It has just, just, it's just a different organism in every way. And we are not cows. So that is just a bullshit statement. And when people compare us to gorillas as well, it's like, well, have you seen what gorillas eat? They just eat virtually all day the same thing. And their gut is able to turn fiber into a nutrition source, whereas our, our gut doesn't. It lets fiber pass through, right? And it collects toxins and all sorts of bullshit on on there so that it, we can get them out the back end, right? So, when whenever there's a comparison to, well, animals do this, so why don't we? Well, cows eat grass, so why can't we eat grass? Cows are just the middlemen. Just That's just a, your alarm bells should go off because guess what? You're not a cow. Another little thing I want to mention as well in the context of deficiencies and, and the reason I'm banging on about deficiencies is because that for most of us in the Western world that are limited by our average paying jobs and therefore our average amount of money that we spend on food is that we're going to end up in deficient states for the list of things that I just recognized. But also remember, I've mentioned this a few times throughout the podcast, is that the nutrient levels that you get checked in your blood when you go to a standard Western medical doctor, which is how we have to go and get those tests done by going to the GP and saying, I want this, 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 and this. Remember those those windows are based on the idea of not getting a disease, right? So Western medical standards measure you as either diseased or not diseased yet. Whereas if you take those blood levels and nutrient profiles to a, a nutrition scientist or a naturopath or a Chinese medical doctor um, or any of these types of modalities, they're all going to say that you're deficient. I had my um, not too long ago, I've had a couple of unfortunate incidents in the last year personally. Not with my health per se, but I guess it's indirectly with my health, but with my body, a broken arm and you know damaged wrist and was in hospital a couple of times through emergency situations. And you know I had my B12 and vitamin D done and they were both, um, they were both seen as quite good, quite good which is good because I put a lot of effort into making them good. But in the Western medical system, they were quite good. Like it was like above average. And then I, you take it to a functional medicine doctor who said, you might, you know, you're at the lower end of good and you might consider supplementing. So, this is just to highlight that those 
when you, when vegans go to the doctor or when anybody goes to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, yeah, this is pretty good, even if it is looking for a disease and you have had health issues and they say, no, nah, you're within range, go and check those ranges and go and check those results with a functional medicine doctor, a naturopath, um, a nutrition science person, nutritionist, because they will tell you a different story that's probably more in line with you being of optimal health and just not coincidentally, oh, you're not diseased yet. All right? There's an important difference there. Now, the other thing is, just to quickly note, is that if you compare a vegan diet to the SAD diet, which is what's the SAD diet? The SAD diet is the standard American diet or the standard Australian diet. Guess what? Vegan is going to be healthier every day of the freaking week. <laughs> the baseline diet that, that you know, Australia and America and the Western world runs off and most of the world, to be honest, the baseline diet is terribly unhealthy. And so, making a move to eat lots of plants and eat a vegan diet as, you know, mainly colourful, real whole foods is going to be great. It's going to be a great thing for your body, right? It's going to be the best thing that you ever did. But that's because your baseline is just a, a pile of bullshit, trans, fatty, sugary, processed, carb-heavy crap, right? Literally crap. They literally call it crap. There's a crap acronym. It's just so vegan is going to be healthier. So, when you compare it to that kind of data and when all the research studies that they share on this documentary and vegans like to boast about when they say, actually, vegans way healthier than anything, right? When they compare it to that, it's like, well, of course, vegans healthier. Of course, the data shows that all of these amazing dietary changes are great. And like with the firefighters in, in that um, documentary, they compared it with the firefighters. You know, I wouldn't consider American or I wouldn't consider any firefighter to be a regular person, by the way. They have a very physically demanding job and are often working out a lot of the time and staying fit. So, they're probably more likely to fit into the elite athlete category. But... The, the thing with, the, with those guys is that they had the food brought to them in the documentary. They had the, literally all their week's supply of food was brought to them. And when the baseline of what you eat is like burgers and, you know, chips and whatever you want to eat on the weekend and, again, the standard American diet, it's going to any, – any drastic dietary move towards whole real foods is going to be beneficial. And, again, these guys weren't left to their own devices talking about – even though that I think firefighters kind of fall into the elite athlete category to some degree, they're at least not average people like you and me, you know, like normal everyday people that have got priorities and busy lives and care about other things other than just 100% focused on our physical performance, right? But the point is that they had food supplied. So, they were they had educated people giving them whole real food that came with all the re- relevant nutrients and came with them, you know, feeling great as a result because they were given all that they needed. And any dietary change is going to make you feel good in week one. You're going to get really positive results in week one. And there's also, it should be noted, that... There's really bad ways to do vegan. There's really bad ways to do like, you know, if you there's so many products that are considered vegan in the supermarket that are, you know, in a bag of box or a can. And that's kind of the golden rule. If it's in a bag of box or a can, it's going to be shit for you. Don't have it. It's not what's good for you, right? It's processed. So, the vegan or vegetarian title or predominantly plant-based title doesn't qualify things as healthy, okay? Now... This is not permission to eat a ton of meat, by the way. This is not just me saying, 
It's all bullshit. It's not all bullshit. Like I just highlighted, any move to a whole real food-based diet is going to be a good move for most people. For the average Joe like myself, like maybe you, anyone you know, it's probably going to be a good thing for a while. But if it's not done properly, it's going to cause health problems eventually at some point. Right, It might be next week, it might be in a year, it might be in five years, it might be in 10 years. There's plenty of vegans that you can go and Google that were vegan for five or 10 years and just had to stop. It was, and and the, half the reason it took them so long to stop is because being vegan was so tethered into the, their personal identity, which is such a toxic way to go about food. It's like, I can only this, eat this way because it's who I am. Well, your gut microbiome doesn't give a shit who you think you are, <laughs> right? Now... When I'm, when we, uh, although I'm not preaching veganism and I'm also not preaching excessive processed meat, you know, I always think that we should eat naturally hunted or grass-fed meat. Ideally, naturally hunted is best. And, I and the most ideal scenario is organic fruits, vegetables, nuts and seed, fermented foods, you know, just the whole rainbow of colors on a daily basis as, as much as we can get in as often as possible, you know, in, in a healthy way. I'm not talking about massive calorie overload here, but in a healthy way. Now, I hope that this is this episode has provided some some just some realistic practical stuff, you know, like the fact that you physically can't always get enough in in order to get all the nutrition you need or that you just can't afford it or that your life isn't focused like elite athletes on being insanely healthy, recovering quickly, you know, we've got multifaceted lives. So, Whatever you choose to do and whichever choice you like to make, I hope that this has contributed to you being able to do it more effectively, more healthily, more nutritionally sound and wholesome, even if you do still choose to go vegan, you know. I hope this this has really opened your eyes as to the complexities that are involved in actually in a functional way in your day-to-day -day life, actually looking after your body for a long period of time because you can't just care about it whilst the Game Changers movie is about and be like, oh yeah, I learned all this stuff from this, these podcast guys and Instagrammers and whatnot and yeah, yeah. Like, so for the first two weeks, I just, I did everything right. And then I kind of fell off the bandwagon for the next three years and oh shit, health problems, right? <laughs> so shoot me some questions. If you've got any questions, if you want me to talk about any more topics on this, just shoot me a message. Um, be more than happy to chat about it. Um, I love talking about this stuff and do you. That's the most important thing. Do you. Don't preach to others what they should do unless they maybe ask for some help or, or you know, I get questions all the time. People ask for some input. Happy to share with you shoot me a DM. If you found this episode interesting, take a screenshot, share it as your social media. Find me on Instagram at Maddie Lenz and give me a tag when you do that. I like to see what's up and who's engaging with the stuff and, and start a conversation about it. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, you know, all of those places at Maddie Lansdowne and that's pretty much a wrap, I think. I, um, I'm at about 18 hours fasting right now, so I'm going to go break my fast with some bone broth. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. I'm going to go break it with some bone broth and then uh, probably, probably a green smoothie. That's more vegan friendly. <laughs> I'm going to go and be a game changer. <laughs> anyway, guys, I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode.
Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.